1: Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher, and we are recording this on June 22nd, though you won't be hearing it or seeing it until July 9th. And honestly, I can't even imagine what the world will look like in two weeks between when this podcast records and when it airs, but it also feels like April was just yesterday, so who knows? Uh, We're living a lifetime of experiences each and every week, and um, I know that you all probably feel the same. Now that summer has arrived, I would like to encourage you all to take a breath. You know, Press pause on the things that have been challenging you through this process and look for opportunities to recharge and redirect your curiosity. Applying to college is tough and overwhelming, and it was never finished by anyone in just one week in July. Take it one day at a time, and we'll help you pe- one piece at a time as you move through these next few months. All right, now, because summer is a time for reflection, we wanted today's episode of this show to have a little bit of that summer flavor right off the bat. Joining me for our first segment is one of my most favorite frenemies in the whole world, uh, my colleague out of Rochester, New York, Abigail Anderson. Hey, Abigail, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Ian, thanks so much for having me. It's nice I'm glad, to be here.
1: I'm glad that you're here. So I, I wanna start at the beginning, right? We're talking a little bit about reflection. Um, when you went through the college application process, um, so put yourself back in that position, how would you grade your approach to the process? How would you think about the way that you engage with it, especially given now that you're someone that works with students all the time um, and helping them apply to college?
2: That's a good question. Um, In all honesty, I'd probably give myself, without grade inflation, (laughs) like a B or a B minus.
1: A solid b Maybe even
2: lower, maybe even lower. And I'm saying this as somebody who was, I, I had a three, eight in college. I was a very good student, but I don't think I did a great, great, really reflective job with my college application process.
1: Gotcha. So it was something where you were sort of in a position where uh, you didn't quite know exactly how to approach it maybe. And, and you were feeling around trying to do it in the right kind of way.
2: Totally. I was very, um, I didn't, I don't think I recognized it at the time, but I was very overwhelmed by the process. And I was very scared of the idea of not knowing where I was going to be in a year. It was the first time in my life that I didn't have a plan for the following year. And I think I was very, very scared of that. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't think
2: I knew it at the time. And because I have three older brothers um, who had been through the college application process and I very much went through the college application process with them, going on all of their college tours as the annoying little sister. Right. I think I kind of just skated through my own process following in their footsteps.
1: I see. So so let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about your essay writing, and I'm not going <laughs> to take you and ask you what were the mistakes that you made on your activities list. We'll save that for another time. But I want to focus in especially on the process of looking for the right schools for you and especially defining what the right schools would be. Right. I, th- I think that that's, that's an early part of this is sort of figuring out what am I really looking for? So you went and visited colleges with your brothers. You got to mm-hmm. see some examples of different kinds of institutions. As you were getting up into your senior year, what were some of the things that you were looking for out of your ideal match?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in a really small college town. I grew up in Williamstown, Massachusetts, right near Williams College. And my older brothers, two went to Dartmouth and one went to Colby. So those three institutions are all pretty similar. And I was very familiar with kind of a small liberal arts college in New England. And so when I started my process, I thought I was going to want to do something different than that. Um, And I looked at a lot of schools in what a New Englander would consider the South. I don't think a Southerner would consider the South um, in Virginia and North Carolina. And um, I quickly realized that that was not for me. And so I narrowed my search back into similar kinds of institutions in New England.
1: Okay. So when you say similar kinds of institutions, you're looking at a lot of the traditional smaller liberal arts colleges. Yep. How did you differentiate between some of those options? What were the things that you were looking for to help understand how the flavor of a Colby is different from a Dartmouth or different from an Amherst or a Williams, et cetera?
2: And this is where I would give myself a poor grade with the application process. I did not do that upfront. I built out my list with the help of a very wonderful college counselor. I went to a great boarding school. We had a Mm -hmm. really phenomenal college counseling system. So I built out my list of nine or 10 schools with her. And it was Mm -hmm. a really, looking back, it was actually a really well-balanced list. And it's a list that made a lot of sense. Um. But I didn't really understand any of the differences between the schools that I applied to. So Bucknell versus Colby or Colgate versus Bates. I didn't see differences until I was admitted and actually went back for revisits. And it was really in my revisit experience that that this thing became tangible and I could imagine myself on those campuses. And where I started to really think about what was important to me, what I valued in my high school experience, and also what I wanted to do differently in college. And so it it really wasn't until April of my senior year of high school that I dug into that self-reflection piece.
1: And that's that's really interesting. And I I, I want to come back to that because I think that's that's where we should focus. But I'm I'm curious about this idea. The way that you describe the process of building your list puts an Awful lot of power, responsibility—however you want to think about it—in the hands of your counselor. Yes, right. Who had to be in a position to say, "I think you should look at these schools," or "Given that you like these institutions, let's add these other ones to the list." Um, were you just sort of comfortable sitting back and saying, "Hey, if you think that these are good options, I'm good with that." Um, what, what was what was your thought process, if you can recall? Um in terms of thinking about those those options and your relationship with your counselor, especially.
2: Yes. That's a good question. I had a good relationship with my counselor. Again, as I said, it was boarding school. I'd known her for four years. She knew my parents quite well. My parents came in um for a couple of meetings with her. Uh I was able to be very open and honest with her. Um But quite frankly, I think I was so scared of the process that I wanted almost like a scapegoat. Like if I wasn't going to be happy, I could turn around and say, well, my college counselor didn't do the best job. Fortunately for me, I think it really worked out. But I hope that when I'm working with students, now in the counseling position, I hope I'm not put in that position. Because <laughs> right. It problem. turns
1: out that's why they're not doing their research, Abigail. They're right. looking to blame you eventually. <laughs> no, but I, I do think that there is something to that. I think whatever the reasons may be, I do think that students are reluctant to jump in with both feet to really look at college options. I, and I, I think that that could be connected to concern about not knowing what the plan is. Um, It could be a a concern about sort of giving yourself over to the process, right? Falling in love with a school that ultimately might choose not to accept you Mm -hmm. can be a really disappointing outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to know how to look for a college in the right kind of way. I think the process of doing research becomes really challenging. And so it makes sense, I think, for a lot of students to sort of, all right, I've got my list, I'm going to apply. And then in April, then I'll look and figure out what the right fit for me is going to be.
2: Ian, something you said really just brought up a memory for me, which was I had a clear number one choice. I, was, I wanted to go to Dartmouth. And I think my list fell into place knowing that that was a reach school. And I applied to similar culturally institutions to Dartmouth, mm-hmm. values, learning style. Um, but I think I quite frankly thought I was going to get into Dartmouth. And when I didn't. I was gutted, yeah. um, had a lacrosse game that day and played pretty aggressively, was very, very upset, <laughs> um, and at that point realized, oh, my gosh, I actually have to figure out what I like in a college. Yeah. And fortunately, as I said, my college counselor helped me build out a really good list, and I had good choices.
1: And so in some ways, you you lucked into it. Um, yep. You were disappointed. Absolutely. But when you got to April, you were in a position where you still had some control over the final decision. You still had an opportunity to decide where you wanted to go. And so how many schools were sort of down to your your final list of possibilities in April of your senior year?
2: Um, I was admitted to all but one school.
1: Okay, great. So it really was a good list. (laughs) The part that you contributed was the problem and your counselor was right. Okay. Yes,
2: absolutely, but ultimately I picked between three schools. There were three okay. schools I was really serious about and revisited and met with friends who went there and did like a, a a much better research process on during those that last month or few weeks.
1: Okay, so you hadn't really developed any strong criteria for what you were looking for when you applied.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What became the criteria that you were using to look at these three? final institutions. And do you want to tell us, I mean, I know that the other other two are going to feel really sad that they don't get to count you among their alumni, but do you want (laughs) to share what the three were that you were looking at? Yeah.
2: So I actually think, interestingly, I ended up picking between very similar institutions. And one thing that I say to students and I firmly believe is that I could have been successful at any of these three institutions. So I picked between Colgate, Bates, and Colby. So most people can say I don't even know the difference between Bates and Colby and sometimes I feel that way even as somebody who graduated from Colby and spent four years there um but ultimately after revisiting those campuses I realized some things that were really important to me were not having Greek life so Colgate got ruled out um and then one thing that I really wanted to grow into in college that I didn't have an experience to do in high school was to become more adventurous and out i would say like outdoorsy okay. um so I wanted to do a lot more skiing and hiking, and um I knew I loved being outdoors. My brother had just finished hiking the Appalachian Trail, and I was really intrigued by that experience and Colby kind of. Fit that bill much better than Bates, and just in terms of its position in the state of Maine and campus location in the city of Waterville, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And, and I think you sort of have described that it wasn't just about being more adventurous, adventurous and outdoorsy around campus, but also an opportunity to be more adventurous in terms of exploring beyond the borders of, of your country, right? So
2: yes, and tell that us was a, that. that was a huge piece. So as I looked at these three schools, I realized, wow, I've spent four years on a boarding school campus. These schools aren't that much bigger. Their physical campuses aren't that much different. Mm -hmm. I think I could get a little bit stifled being at another smaller institution for four years. So in really good conversation with my parents, who were great guides in the process, um, they really helped me think about how important it would be for me to have the opportunity to study abroad. And I kind of kicked it up a notch. I know most people say, oh, I want to study abroad for a semester. I created this criteria of wanting to study abroad for an entire year.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Colby was the one school of the three that kind of said, oh, yeah, absolutely. We let students do that. That's great that you're excited about that. Um, And so I did, I studied abroad for a year, my entire junior year while I was at Colby um, through
1: support of a professor. (laughs) That seems ludicrous to me to be, to spend a full quarter of your college experience, not at the college that you've chosen, you know, um, is, it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, So you went to the London School of Economics?
2: I did yeah and
1: what was that what was that like? Did it feel like it was a complementary part of the experience that you were having at Colby or did it feel like it was a totally different and separate experience that you know it ultimately didn't merge with what your Colby experience was?
2: So culturally it was a completely different experience like London England versus Waterville, Maine probably couldn't be any more different um but academically it was this beautiful blend for me i studied sociology for an entire year i took four amazing year-long sociology courses many people don't know the london school of economics is the london school of economics and political science and they have this phenomenal world-renowned sociology program um, and it actually led me to deciding I wanted to write a thesis my senior year. And it helped nice. me discover this interest that I had in the sociology of health and medicine because Great Britain handles healthcare so vastly differently than right. America. So it really was a blend.
1: So, and, so one of the main reasons that you ultimately chose the school you chose became a defining feature. Of your college experience. And, uh, you know, I think that it sometimes works out that way. You know, you're looking for a particular kind of school for a particular reason and you seize that opportunity when you get there. Sometimes you are surprised by the things that you really end up loving about a school, things that you had never even thought of, things that had never occurred to you. And sometimes the things that you thought were gonna be great end up being things that you don't pursue at all. are there, you know, sort of as we're coming to the the end of this segment, are there some things that you can think of that surprised you about Colby that became a really terrific sort of element of your experience there, maybe against expectations that you might have had going in?
2: I, I had no expectations about what my academic experience is going to be like at Colby. Um, in fact, it was kind of a... Um, a likely, school, not a likely, it was probably a, a just right school for me. And okay. so I thought I was going to go in and feel like the smartest kid in the room. And that wasn't always the case um, at all. And I had a phenomenal academic experience. But it also was the case that I developed really strong relationships with professors in my first semester at Colby. And it was a relationship in that first semester with a intro to sociology professor who then led me to major in sociology, who then recommended me for the general course, the study abroad program at LSC, which then led me to my thesis, hmm. which then led me to graduate Phi Beta Kappa. I mean, it—it, it, I had no idea how incredibly academic and rewarding academically Colby was going to be for me.
1: Did you have any idea how academic you were? Did it surprise no. you that you were that you followed through with these interests in in this kind of way.
2: I think that's interesting. I had always been told I was really smart um, and that I had an interesting mind, um, but I never really felt that way Mm. in high school. I think it was because I wasn't studying what I was meant to study. I was studying general uh, high school coursework. And so college was really kind of an unfolding of discovering a field I was really passionate about.
1: That's great. I, I, and I think it's, it sort of reinforces one of these ideas that we share with some of our students that you really grow into a particular kind of person by virtue of the school you've chosen and the opportunities that you take advantage of, especially when you're there. Yeah. And so there is there is a Dartmouth version of Abigail out there. Um, she won't be friends with me, so I don't <laughs> like her. But the Colby <laughs> version has turned out really fantastic, right? Um, so I... I think, I think it's great. I would love to do more of these with more of our colleagues to learn a little bit more about how they went through this process and chose the school that they chose. Um, I guess we're out of time. Yeah. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Well, let's try and do that. Um, You (laughs) meanwhile, thank you very much for coming on the show today and, and letting me ask you these questions and and helping me learn a little bit more about you. I, I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much for having me. This is a You got a it. You're welcome.
1: Fun. You're welcome back anytime. Um, awesome. All right. When we come back from the break, we are going to be talking about COVID essays. So don't go away.
3: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back
1: to the show. Welcome back to today's episode of Getting In. If you're just tuning in, you might want to go back and uh, listen to the conversation I just had with Abigail Anderson. She told us all about how she chose her college, Colby College, back when she was going through the process. And I thought it was a great lesson in patience uh, for, for current rising high school seniors. Now, um, if it feels, like, it feels like a lot of us have been living under a rock for the last three months, but we all know the reason why. COVID-19 has spread across the globe and has caused school closures and shuttered businesses and inspired many governors to order their constituents to shelter in place. An experience this universal and, and this unusual has a meaningful impact for literally everyone. Nobody has been unaffected by this virus. But should you write your essay about it? Joining to me today to tackle that question is my colleague Lauren Randall, formerly of the Georgetown Admission Office and the Canadian International School of Hong Kong. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show.
4: Hey, Ian, thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm really glad to have you here. This is a topic that we have not covered before because it is especially unusual at this point in time. Um, And I I do wanna, before we get into our conversation, put in a little plug for our blog because if you go to blog.getintocollege.com, you're gonna find a lot of really great writing about these topics. Um, But I, I wanna ask you, Lauren, um, are you seeing any students that you're working with who are asking you or proposing that they write an essay focused on the COVID experience that they are having right now?
4: Interestingly, um, not many students have brought <laughs> it up. A whole lot of parents have asked me about it. Um, this is a major challenge, an obstacle, uh, a conflict something that students and parents and families together have have worked through um, And so I think sometimes there's a few common application prompts um, that maybe are difficult for a student to answer so when they look through the list a parent will say well one is about overcoming a challenge and they say well my kids had it pretty good they haven't overcome any challenges and then all of a sudden now this is triggering like oh well maybe this fits is this something that, that we should address? Because this was a really tough time and we, we, we're navigating it. So is this something we should write about?
1: Yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned actually that challenge prompt, because I do think that that has often been a place where I, I do think it's interesting, I was on mute, but I do think it's interesting that, um, that you mentioned that challenge prompt, because I do think that it's a place where many families gravitate immediately. And I think that's because of a common conception about, and it's a misconception that you need to write your essay about overcoming a particular obstacle. So this all of a sudden provides that obstacle for students to describe the way that they've overcome it. But I think that families are sort of missing the sense that you don't have to write about overcoming a challenge. There's not something that's special about this particular type of college essay above and beyond any of the other prompts that we might be looking at. Um, I, you know, I've also mostly heard from adults who think that it would be a good idea to write about COVID. Why is it that you think that this is maybe not the right kind of topic for students to be looking at? What is, what are some possible pitfalls of writing about an experience that we're all currently experiencing?
4: I think what comes to me first and foremost is, um, that, well, first of all, we're not totally through this. Um, so to write your essay about how you've overcome something or what or how you've dealt with it, there could be much more of the story still to come. Um, so point. I'm not sure that the growth, the reflection points, um, they've had enough time to process. I know that you have been, uh, I, I think I need to hold my microphone up even a little bit higher here. Um, so if I look funny in my <laughs> camera now, um, but if you are, it, it, you've been stuck at home for a long time. Um, so you probably think that all you've had time to do is think, but in the span of your life and in particularly your high school career, this is actually a pretty short amount of time so far. That's so right. if you want to get started on your college essay right now, you might not have had enough of... Uh, reflection point to to really convey the growth opportunities here, how you've changed, what you care about, what you think about in a really reflective essay, which is what I think of as the personal statement. So what would the pitfall be? I think students would default more to the facts. They would say, I was stuck at home for this long. I had to do online learning. My school went to pass fail courses, all these facts. And there are other places now on the application to address that instead of the essay.
1: That's right. And I, I love what you're saying about the facts and the sort of experience of being in this moment as being the area where students might tend to focus. Um, I'm in a creative nonfiction writing studio that I, that I do in my free time, and my instructor Uh, continually says, I hope people are writing about this experience right now because we need to document what it's like to be in this experience. But notice that when he says that, he's describing what does it feel like to be in it? Describe how you're experiencing this virus and the way that it's affecting you and your family, but not how does it feel to have come through this And it's just such an important observation to say that we really want to be in a position where you're talking about how this has affected you and changed you and and made you into a different kind of person in a way that I think helps colleges to perceive what you'll contribute to their campus and community. Now, you just mentioned that there might be other places in the application uh, to address this. And I wonder if this wasn't a decision made by the Common App. To just say, we don't want to read COVID personal statements, so let's let's come up with an alternative. So um, for those who are listening or watching who have not heard about this new COVID-inspired essay, what is that? What's out there?
4: Yeah, so I'm really happy that, um, at least speaking for the Common Application as a platform, they are giving the space um, for students, also for high school counselors, so for the high school to address it. I think that's really important because, like I just mentioned about the facts, while that might not be the best uh, for your personal statement, those facts matter. Um, And it is important for the admissions officers and those colleges to understand that context when reviewing your application. So now there is an optional box. Uh, I don't know that I would really call it an essay, but it's a 250-word text box Where you can address some of those facts of of how COVID, or it actually says other natural disasters, um, have impacted your family, your educational situation, um, your future plans. So you can talk about some of those things. If you did not have access to internet um, and that impacted your ability to continue with online school, that is hugely important to convey. Um, If there are economics, impacts from from COVID, that is important to convey. So those facts really do matter. So I'm telling students to, if you think you want to write your essay about COVID, start with 250 words. If you can get everything out that is necessary for the admissions officer to know about that, it probably belongs in that optional COVID text box. There's one more thing. There's also- There's also the counselors have even more space. They have 500 words to talk about how COVID has impacted their high school community um, and the educational instruction. So even if you didn't get everything out in 250 words, you can also be sure that the high schools are addressing this for all of their students um, in, in their additional 500 words.
1: And I want to come back to this split between what the counselor can do and what the student can do. But, but I, I first want to look at the specific questioning of the, the COVID section of the Common App. And we unpacked this. I think I wrote a, a blog post about this on our blog. But there is some language here that says, if you need it, this space is yours to describe those impacts from COVID. And then further down, the first question is, do you wish to share anything on this topic, yes or no? How would you advise students to think about whether this is space that they need and whether this is something where they should answer yes and write a response in that text box on their application?
4: So I, that's a good question. Um, if nothing comes to you immediately, then the answer is probably no. Um, if it's something that you think, well, yes, it impacted me, but it also impacted every other student at my school in the same way. Right. Things like my semester went to pass-fail, my semester went to online learning, um, our school year ended early, there were no sports season in the spring. If it impacted everybody from your high school, if, if those are the facts that you need to share, you can probably trust that is going to be shared by the counselor for the entire school community. Right. Um, so that's probably something that you don't need to share. They will already have that information. If there are things beyond that, um, other challenges, like I mentioned, your school went to online learning, but you did not have reliable a reliable internet source or technology. You did not have a quiet space in your home because your three-year-old sibling was causing destruction because they were also home. You know, things like that, that are more personal to your learning experience, um, that's where I would say that's the yes versus the no. Answer yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think that tends to be right, is sort of, is this something that's true of others is a great way to think about it. And you can think about that within the context of your high school community. You could think about it in the context of all students who are applying, right? To use that space to say, my, my school closed and I no longer got to go to school. That's, we know, everybody knows. Everybody had that same experience, right? So you wanna look for things that are very specific to you. Um, there has long been the additional information section also on the common application and that additional info, I think has a 650 word cap. It's larger than what we would see for this, this new COVID section. How should students think about the differences between those two things? And do you have any kind of an instinct for why common app added this new question when they already had the additional info that could have been space for this kind of response?
4: That's a great question and one that I can only speculate on. Um, I think, for one, that most students, in my experience, don't put anything in the additional information section. It doesn't necessarily Agreed. trigger. Doesn't necessarily trigger an automatic response. So I do think that the, uh, that universities and the Common App are being intentional of triggering this optional question. We want you to at least think about it. Of uh, of do you have anything to add? The additional information section is such a catch-all that students don't know what it's for and tend to leave it blank. And for the most part, it probably should be blank. Uh, there's enough information elsewhere. Um, so I still usually think of the, I, 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 I'm not changing how I advise students with the additional information section. For most students, I think it will be blank. Um, I tend to tell students to use the additional information section for things that don't get out in the application otherwise. Um, If there was an extended absence, not COVID related, but you had mono, um, you probably don't want to write your essay about having mono, but you need to write a few sentences about how that impacted your grades or your year. That's a great place for the additional information section. Um, So I think my point here is don't repeat information. You don't need to copy and paste this in both places. Um, if you're addressing everything in the COVID optional response and don't have anything to add to additional information, that's okay.
1: Right. And, and I think it's great because you're sort of articulating that, that much of the purpose of that section is to answer questions that might arise elsewhere. This student was gone for 10 days. What happened there? Additional info is a way to sort of come in and answer that question. And I think that this COVID question is about helping to build in context to answer questions that a reader might have about a particular student that came as a result of this challenge that we're all facing right now. Um, One sort of thing that that I'm curious about, Lauren, is how you would encourage students, given that there is this counselor section, should they communicate at all with their counselor about what's being placed in that section um, to be aware of how the school is handling it or to just Discuss a potential way that a counselor could speak on behalf of a student in their entry to the application rather than the student shouldering that burden entirely for their part of the application.
4: By all means, ask. I think that's <laughs> I, I think that's a mistake that student students don't have enough conversations with their counselor. So this is yeah. a great one. Ask what are you using that space for? What will be conveyed? And that should probably take a lot of stress off the student's shoulder, but do remember. That the that 500 word space for the counselor will be applied the same to every student. If there's personalized information, that ultimately needs to go into the student's letter of recommendation. So there is a slight difference there too. But have the conversation.
1: Please do. And I I, you know want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners that Lauren was a high school counselor. She did this work with students, advocating on their behalf when they were applying for college. And so when Lauren says, talk to your counselor ask questions. You can take that from the word of someone who was in that position trying to advocate for students all the time. So I think that's a great place to leave it, Lauren. There will certainly, as you said at the beginning, there's so much still evolving here that we will probably come back and have more conversations about the impact of COVID on everything in higher education. But this was a great opportunity, I think, for students to unpack this one little piece of the app. So thanks a lot for coming on to share with us. Thanks, Ian. All right, so uh, that was fantastic. When we come back, we're going to identify some of the ways that students can help themselves financially this summer with the expertise from our college finance team. We'll see you after the break.
3: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Now, this is going to long be remembered as the summer of COVID. And I really hope it's the only summer of COVID. But before we can look back as at what it was, we have to work our way through it. For our next segment, we thought we would discuss some of the ways that students can help themselves financially this summer. And we've asked our college finance expert, Michelle Richardson, to jo- join us for that conversation. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Anne. So summer looks a little bit different for high school students this year. They might not be able to work the job they envisioned. Summer camps are canceled, pools are closed. I know one of my students is not able to lifeguard this summer. Uh, So there's a lot of pocket money that students have been counting on that that they might not be able to earn. Maybe actually real money that they could have used towards their college expenses uh, coming up in the fall. So what are some of the ways that high school students might be able to earn money this year if their typical summer jobs are not available to them?
3: um, this is a question we've been getting a lot from parents, you know, um, students have a lot more time on their hands and, you know, have them think outside the box a little bit. Maybe their traditional job isn't available, but based on their interest and, and skills, you know, there are other ways perhaps to still earn money. Uh, for example, um, a camp counselor. I talked to a family um, about three weeks ago, and and the high schooler was all set to be a camp counselor. Um, so, we had talked about perhaps looking for childcare uh, for a family that they know, or uh, a neighbor, or perhaps being a, a tutor um, if a student wants to do that. Um, we're finding during this COVID, there's a lot of older adults that need help. So if high school students, you know, want to help run errands, get groceries, um, you know, again, kind of think out outside the box and, and, you know, perhaps you could do some good while still uh, earning some money. Um, And, you know, a lot of sports are canceled, the extracurricular activities, you know, uh, no refereeing. Uh, but maybe uh, if students were planning on being a coach maybe they could coach or, you know more on a one-on-one um, level as opposed to coaching an entire team and and maybe you know maximizing um, some time together on a more individual uh, basis
1: well it's great because so many of the things that you just described are things that I've seen just around my neighborhood um, as I've gone on walks you know I've seen, a coach with a pair of kids in a front driveway working on basketball skills. I've seen nannies who are doing a, a home share with two families that live next to each other, so that the kids can work, can hang out together while the parents get their work done. Right. So, in addition to the fact that you know so many more traditional opportunities are not available, there are also uh, greater needs to have people pitch in around their communities, given the the sort of current state of affairs. Now. Most students, when they think about getting a job, they're thinking about sort of traditional businesses hiring. But we keep hearing that those businesses are not hiring. Um, are there entities that that might still be looking to employ high school students, especially?
3: Sure. Uh, we're finding uh, the grocery stores, obviously, the home improvement stores are are hiring. Mm. Um, I know in my area, and I, I live in the Midwest. Um, because people are spending a lot more time at home, um, pool installations, swimming pool installations, and, and playground uh, in home. Uh, playground, uh, and basketball hoops, all those kinds of home improvement, backyard um, entities are, are hiring and, and always looking for people. Um, in our local news uh, about a couple weeks ago, they talked about uh, having to actually expand their hiring for both up uh, older high school and college students that came back. Um, and that was a swimming pool entity, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, you're always going to see whenever there's some, some sort of a financial recession, you're going to see that certain businesses are actually doing better and some businesses are really struggling. And so there are landscaping opportunities out there. There are things that people still need in terms of services. And I think high schoolers can see some of that opportunity. You know, especially if there are low barriers to entry, right? There's not a whole lot of training. You have to know how to operate a, a rake, a shovel. Right. <laughs> um, those are things that most high school kids are, are comfortable doing. And you know, it's a great way to spend some time outside. Now, these are some of the ways that we can earn money, but, but what are some other activities that high school students are able to do to be able to help themselves financially from the standpoint of, of the upcoming college expenses?
3: Yeah, since students today uh, typically have a little bit more time on their hands, uh, high yeah. school, uh, sophomores, juniors, and, and even those rising seniors, um, if they haven't started looking for national or outside scholarship opportunities, you know, now's a great time to kind of begin that, that process or, or search. Um, and it, it takes a lot of time and effort. For those outside scholarship entities, but that is definitely something that may not be the most fun thing to do, but there's a lot of soft skills uh, that students can uh, learn while uh, applying and, and searching for outside scholarships.
1: Yeah. So, so national scholarships, I think, are you know we typically think about scholarships. We'll think about money that comes from the institution. We'll think think about some of the local scholarships that students can look for. What are some national scholarships, and how can students search and, and find for these?
3: Yeah. Sure. So, um, national scholarships are oftentimes funded uh, by corporations, uh, community service groups, uh, foundations. Um, there's a lot of, of, corporate entities that offer national, um, scholarships and these are oftentimes housed on databases. Um, and if you were to do a search online for just college scholarships, you would just get millions of hits and, and links and like anything, uh, they're not all reputable. Um, and, and so students and, you know, families want to make sure that the sites are legitimate. Um, some, uh, a couple tips and maybe a couple sites that families might want to look at um, and, these sites, we, we vet on an annual basis and, um, and we are in no way affiliated with them. But scholarships.com is a great uh, national database. Um, collegescholarships.org is another one. Um, and the college board, they have a, a website called Big Future that mm-hmm. houses uh, national scholarships.
1: I'm, whenever I tell people about scholarships.com, <clears throat> I have to tell them, that's a good site. Like it's not, it sounds like it's, you know, just scholarships.com doesn't seem like it would be reputable, but, but a good one. And I I know that because I listened to my colleagues over in college finance. Um, now, rising high school seniors, they should use this time to apply for scholarships. And by the way, they should also use this time to work on their essays. Um, but Absolutely. what about high school sophomores and juniors? I think that they're probably still figuring, Well, oh, I've got time, and I'm going to you know, be applying to college in a more normal environment. Is this something that sophomores and juniors should be thinking about as well?
3: Um, so we like to talk to families before they become a rising senior when it comes mm. to the national scholarship search. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort. Um, I'm not, you know, going to sugarcoat that uh, at all, but uh, a couple really good things to think about for those uh, sophomores and and juniors um, and, and, you know, even incoming freshmen, and that might even seem uh, way too young or or early, but, um, you know, these are national scholarships, Students want to make sure that they position themselves the best they can, and they not only meet the eligibility requirements, but they exceed the eligibility requirements for these scholarships. So, if they start the search process early, they have some time to, you know, maximize their application. Um, a lot of times, the outside scholarships require an essay um, or a project or a certain number of community service hours and and you know if you can start searching and kind of organizing that information early on um, as opposed to try and do it now that you know or even during your senior year you know as well as I do that there's very little time for anything else, you know, in the fall of, of a high school seniors year. So it oftentimes right. is too late by that point.
1: That's right. And I I just think that if there's anything that you can do to get on top of things now while you have this abundance of time, I think it makes a lot of sense to take advantage of it. So we've talked a little bit about earning money, um, about applying for scholarships. Um, We've got a a minute or two more. Are there a couple of other things that you think that that students can do to help themselves financially uh, during the summer?
3: Sure. One thing when we uh, talk a lot of times to high school students, um, now would perhaps be a good time for them to brush up on their money management skills if they haven't already done so. Um, A lot of times we find they manage their money by looking on their phone, you know, before they go to that ATM and, and they don't know the definition of reconciling an account. And so, you know, taking this time to maybe, establish a a spending plan and learn how to reconcile or look at a bank statement. um, Those are are really good tools that you can and and will need to have to carry on, you know, well into your, uh, you know, adulthood. And um, another thing that um, students can think about today sounds very simple, but it can really help financially down the road is, if they don't know how to cook or maybe do laundry or you know, those those
1: Yes. We true. call
3: those life skills. Um I had, you know, two children that were college bound, you know, a few years ago and They might've thought I was a mean mom by making them learn how to cook and do their own laundry, but, you know, um, dry cleaning services in college and eating out all the time can be quite spendy. So, um, you know, learning some of those, uh, life skills will help with their, you know, organization and time management. You know, there's just a, a wealth of, of skills that can be learned.
1: That's right. And there's not a whole lot to lose when you learn those skills. I mean, it's it's really great to know how to cook and know how to do your own laundry. So take Michelle's advice. <laughs> do those things. You can also look for scholarships, of course, and get a job, Absolutely. but learn how to cook, please, this summer. Uh, Michelle, thanks a lot for coming on the show and, and talking us through some of those options.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Ian, for having me on.
1: All right, folks, that does it for today's show. And as we bring this episode to a close, I want to remind our listeners and viewers that you can always send us your questions at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We love taking those questions and answering them on the air. So don't be shy about sending them our way. We're also blowing up on social media. So you don't want to miss out. Throw College Coach a like on Facebook. Check out our Instagram page, collegecoachbh, and tweet us a question at collegecoachbh. And if you're feeling especially generous, we do always appreciate those five-star reviews on iTunes. Until next time, enjoy some time in the sun, mask up when you're out in public, and stay safe. We will catch you all on the other side of this. Be well.